Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Father and our King, we thank you for giving us freedom in Jesus today. We thank you, God, for giving us freedom not to pursue our own ends, but rather, God, freedom to love you and to serve you and to live for you and by the power of your spirit in all things. God, may we use that freedom wisely. May we use our lives for the furthering of your kingdom. God, may we walk with you more deeply today than we did yesterday. Be glorified, God, in our, in our time together this morning as you already have been. We pray in the name of Jesus together. We say, amen. Well, thank you. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. As you do that, I want to say thank you to two groups. Um, The first group is, I want to say thank you to our church and to our congregation as we celebrated the life of Mitch Vanderholst on Friday. I am so thankful for how many of you have expressed love and care and support through your presence, through meals, through fixing things at their house, through putting things up at their house. I only know a fraction of the love that you as a church have shared with Mitch and Sharon through your prayers, through your thoughts, through your cards. Thank you for loving them well as they've been on this journey the last several months of Mitch's life. Um, One of the things that just hit me as we were celebrating Mitch's life and celebrating the Lord on Friday was the simple truth that Mitch's life mattered so much in the small areas. Discipleship matters in the small areas of our life. You know, you know, Mitch may not be the one to come up here and speak for 45 minutes, but he was the one to give you a call and to pray with you. He was the one to encourage you with the word of God. He was one to care about people. And that is something that's cultivated over a lifetime. And it's something that each one of us, with the help of God's spirit, can do. And I just, I just, I was challenged in that way myself. But thank you for the support you have shown to Sharon and the family and continue to do that as the days go forth from here. Um, The second thing is, uh, man, that was Friday morning. And then we turned this whole upstairs around and we had over 30 kids and over 15 leaders here for the, for the Friday evening and all day Saturday yesterday. Many of our uh, worship and media team this morning spent the entire weekend here uh, doing one thing or another with the student uh, ministry winter weekend. I just want to say thank you to those students. Thank you to those leaders. Thank you to Pastor Cameron for leading that whole effort and in gathering around the word of God and in learning and having fun uh, together. I was able to be there for parts of it and it was just so much fun to, to see that. And I, I mean, we even had a community group last night who was helping serve dinner to these kids. Like what an incredible way for, for a community group to just jump in and to serve and to find meaning and purpose in what they do. And so thank you to them. Um, and now you are in Matthew chapter 13. And so we want to open the scriptures together. Um, last week, we, we talked about this first parable of the sower. We talked a little bit about what parables are. They're stories to communicate a truth. And oftentimes, parables are given as Jesus is teaching on scene. And so if we go ahead and have my slides up here, I will go ahead and show you a photo that I showed you 
last week. Oh, it's my fault. Sorry, that was my bad. Uh, so, so here's this. Here's the photo I showed you last week. Imagine Jesus is in the water, kind of where that boat is, because this is possibly, quite likely, the place where Jesus would have been teaching from. He's out there. He's speaking. There's five to 7,000-ish people around. They're hearing Jesus speak, and as they're hearing him speak, they're hearing both things new and old. They're hearing teaching that has been clarified, and they're going, wait, that's not what I maybe thought it was. And it's interesting, because at the end of Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus says this in verse 51. He says, have you understood all these things? Yes, they told him. Therefore, he said to them, every student of Scripture, in other words, every person who's steeped in the words of God, and many of these people sitting on the hillside were, Jesus' disciples were, Part of the Jewish learning system in the, in the time of Jesus was that you would most likely, by the time you reach about 13, you had most of the Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You knew it. Not only that, if you were really good, you would go on and you would begin to study in the prophets and you'd study in the writings. And so all of your life was patterned around the text. And he says, he says every student of scripture, and his disciples are going, okay, that, that, that's in part us here. Um, they're instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner that brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. In other words, um, I, I love the way that the Moody Bible commentary puts it. They, they put it like this. Um, this indicates Jesus taught new truth about the mysteries of the kingdom, but old truth clearly seen in the Old Testament as well was taught, and that his followers must teach both. And so he's giving his disciples some extended teaching in this passage we're going to look at, and it has to do with what is the kingdom, and he gives picture after picture after picture. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower, really better entitled the parable of the hearers, or the parable of the soil, because the whole point of that parable is how do you hear? How do you hear? Um, what determines success? And, and Jesus' point is that people who yield a good harvest are, are like farmers who have good soil. And the good soil is different than the soil on the path, and it's different than the soil that has bedrock underneath it, and it's different than the soil that has thorns all around it because this soil is ready to receive and it's ready to do and to hear God's teaching, and it's ready to go forward in faithfulness. Um, so, so that was last week. Um, what I'd like to do this morning is read the rest of our passage together, and then I'm going to give you each parable one at a time, and we'll bring it all together. So would you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word? Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. He presented another parable to them. The them here is the crowd. Um, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemies came, sowed seeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. So do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles and burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. Verse 31, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than all the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and she mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread or until it leavened through all of it. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. And he would not speak anything to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he dismissed the crowds. He went into the house, and his disciples came to him, or they approached him, and they said, Explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. He goes on in verse 44 and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When when he found one priceless pearl, he went and he sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers. But threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Yes, they told him. Therefore, he said to them, every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, God, that you would lead and guide us into all truth by the work of your Holy Spirit for your honor and for your glory. May what is heard today be words of encouragement, words of challenge, and God, may they be words um, guided by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, Jesus gives many, many different pictures of the kingdom, and all of these are rounding out this definition of the kingdom. Uh, It's interesting, Jesus doesn't usually say, uh, hey, the kingdom is, and give like an exhaustive definition. Now, I've given you an exhaustive definition, or the beginning of a definition, really, is what it is. I've defined the kingdom this way for my own purposes and for, for us. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is the active rule of God active rule of God, and a person who repents and trusts Jesus. All right, fill in the blank. The kingdom of God is the active rule of God and a person who repents, I heard it over there, and trust Jesus. Okay, let's try it one more time. Okay, I, I didn't give you a, a warning on there, but here, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is the active rule of God in a person who repents of their sin and trusts Jesus, okay, active rule of God, and a person who repents and who trusts Jesus. In other words, they're a disciple, 
All right, that, that, that's what it is. It's a picture of discipleship. And Jesus is going to explain all these implications of the kingdom, but he's going to do it through story and through analogy. He's going to say, hey, it's like a man who sowed good seed. It's like mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like a treasure in a field. It's like a merchant in search of a fine pearl. It's like a large net thrown into the, the ocean. It's like a landowner who pulls out of his storehouse things new and old. All right, so these are all the metaphors that Jesus is going to use. So we've talked about the parable of the heroes, parable of the sower. Let's talk for a moment about the mustard seed and the yeast. And I want to begin here because Jesus um, tells the story of the wheat and the tares, and then he tells the story of the mustard seed and the yeast, and then um, all the crowds go away, and then he has focused time with his disciples and he teaches the wheat and the tares. So we're going to pick it up in verse 31 is about where we are at. Um, so he presents this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took. Now, a mustard seed, there, there's some scholarly discussion about what kind of mustard seed we're talking about. These are black mustard seeds. This is kind of like the scholarly consensus, but but there's still discussion. And the mustard seed wasn't the smallest seed in the world at that time, but, but most say it's the smallest seed that is commonly known to the people that Jesus is speaking to. So he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And so the picture is this, it's really small, <laughs> okay? It's this really small thing. Here's the thing, is that small things sometimes grow to be big things. Um, here's a mustard plant near the... Um, near the Good Samaritan Inn, which is on the road that goes up from Jer Jericho up to Jerusalem. And so you can kind of see that there. It's kind of tall. Um, most mustard seed plants range in the three to four feet heights, but you can also get them that go from 10 to 15 feet. So imagine it began as this, and now it's that. Do you see a difference? Jesus is saying this is something that grows. You may think it's small. In fact, if you were to put this in the ground, you might go, where did I put my mustard seed? <laughs> I guess we'll find out in some time. But over time, it's something that becomes bigger than you could ever imagine, unless you already had the idea or the understanding of what it is. The, the, the point of it is this, is that um, as Jesus is teaching, he's got people, some who are coming to him and hearing the word, and they're becoming his disciples, but he has many who come and they hear the word and they go, I don't know that I buy that. Um, at the end of the chapter, I didn't read this small section in Matthew 13, Jesus goes to Nazareth. Nazareth was the place he grew up. The people there knew him. They knew him personally. They're like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his brothers this person, that person, and the other person? And they hear and they see the amazing miracles and teaching that Jesus is doing, but they struggle to believe that he is who he says he is. And Jesus quotes to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he doesn't do miracles there, the text says, because of their unbelief. And so th there are many who, who are going, but wait, Jesus, isn't this kingdom supposed to be something that's breaking forth with great power? Aren't we supposed to, some people thought, like come in and you're going to overthrow the Romans and there's going to be this huge shift of power? And Jesus says, one of the pictures of the kingdom is it's something that gradually grows until finally it reaches its maturity. And as Westerners, maybe this is just me, but as Westerners, I think we struggle with this because we want to see instant success sometimes. But the work of God in someone's life sometimes takes a long time to germinate. It takes a long time to come to fruition where you go, 
wait, I see how that seed was planted way back here, and now, wow, look at this. And that's part of the picture Jesus is painting here. So there's a mustard seed. Um, then he tells them another parable, and, and it's this. It's, it's the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And with the crazy weekend I had, I forgot to get the photo in my PowerPoint that I wanted to have uploaded. Um, but, but here's a photo of bread, okay? Not near as exciting. What I had, uh, and I have this in my text messages from my friends too, um, bread is like integral to a Middle East culture, okay? There is no meal without bread. It's kind of like the rice of some cultures or the <laughs> French fries maybe of the Western uh, American diet. Um, bread is central to all meals because you don't have utensils, you use bread a lot of times. So bread is at the table all the time, but the way that they make bread in the ancient period is much like how you make sourdough. How many of you over the quarantine took up bread making? Okay, we had a couple people who did this. Okay, I had a couple conversations. How many of you like to bake bread? And Okay, we got a couple people who like to bake bread. How many of you like to buy your bread at the store? No shame whatsoever, I totally get it. So the way this works though is before the era of instant yeast, okay? You get this instant yeast in a packet these days, you put it with some sugar or some, some um, honey or something like that, and you put it with warm water and then it, it gets bigger, it proofs is what they call it. Before the advent of instant yeast, you would have a starter that is handed down from generation to generation. And it's this mixture of flour and water. I promise this is not going to be a cooking class for you today. Um, uh, it, it's this flour and water mixture, and you mix it and you let it set. And in the heat, it grabs, um, it grabs yeast from the air that begins to ferment this. And then you add that to other flour, water, and usually salt, and you let it sit. And then it rises. Eventually it rises. Sometimes it can be a long, slow process, but you know your starter's good when it's like really bubbly and everything. And so it's, it's active. And Jesus is likening the kingdom to this. It's like yeast that a woman took, and, and literally it's like the starter that she took. She didn't like sprinkle yeast. She takes a starter, she puts it in this flour. And notice it's 50 pounds of flour, is the way mine translates it, or 40 quarts, and, which is a lot of flour. That's a lot of bread. And it takes time for that yeast to work through it. But the point is, is that eventually it does. It may take hours for that, for that whole batch of dough to, to rise to the point where then you can put it in the oven and you can bake it and you have something of taste. Um, but the, the point is this, is that even large batches of flour, they will be leavened and it will spread through it. And that's kind of like the kingdom. Jesus said it's this thing that, that gradually grows. You may think, oh, when's the bread going to be ready to bake? It will one day be ready to bake. That's part of the picture. It goes along with the parable of the mustard seed. Um, Jesus' mission and his success is different than the disciples, some of whom want instant success, but Jesus says, hang on, my kingdom is working even when you think it isn't. All right, so there's that one. Now, we're going to skip the uh, verses 34 and 35 because we talked about parables last week. Um, but he dismisses the crowds in verse 36. And so let's talk about the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares is a parable that uses another common agricultural thing that the people would have seen. Many of them were farmers. Uh, some have said even up to 90% of Jesus' 
uh, hearers here were probably farmers in one way, shape, or form that they had gardens of their own. And so here's a, here's a field of wheat and tares. Now, can you tell me which one is a wheat and which one is a tare? That's what I thought. Um, I can't tell the difference. I'm not a farmer. Maybe some of you, if you get really close, you'd be able to tell. But a tear is this. Um, a tear is basically a, a, a fake uh, stalk of wheat. And Jesus gives this parable or this example about the one who sows the good seed, and that's likened to the wheat, like wheat that you can use something, uh, that, that you can use that wheat to make bread and, and have this abundance of food for your year. He says, the, the son of man is the one who sows the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy, enemy who sowed them is the devil. Now, what he's explaining here is essentially agricultural terrorism, all right? If you were to plant a crop and someone were to come in behind you and plant in a bad seed that you cannot use for anything, that, that's, that's striking big because now your whole life is at jeopardy. You're like, wait a second, how do I get the food I need for my family for the next season of life here when I can't tell the difference? because there's something going on here. These don't look the same. Um, Jesus tells the story, and the bad seed is sown, and, and it's a poisonous weed. It's a kind of ryegrass that doesn't have any positive benefit to it at all, really. But it looks like wheat in the early stages, and only when the ear or, or when, the, um, when the, the shaft of wheat appears can you tell the difference. Here's a photo of um, a wheat and a tear. You can tell the one that actually has seeds on it, and that is useful for wheat. It's the one on your right, and the darnel, or the, um, the, the fake wheat, the bad seed, is the one on the left. So Jesus tells this parable. So the son of man's a sower, the field is the world, there's good seed, which are sons of the kingdom, there's bad seed, which are sons of the evil age, and those are planted by the enemy, the devil. And he's giving this, this picture, and he says that... Um, in the parable, his, um, the servants come to the landowner and they say, hey, do you want us to go and uproot all these weeds? But see, by the time that they know that these are weeds, the root structure has already grown pretty deep. And Jesus, or the, the landowner, who's likened to Jesus, uh, or the son of man, um, he says, no, don't uproot that because we might actually harm the wheat if we try to pull all the weeds. Usually weeding was done in the springtime, but if you waited too long, these root structures have taken place and there's not much you can do after that because you could really risk hurting the plant that you need in order to have crops, in order to have food. So Jesus' parable says, um, wait until the day. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. And he's talking about this end of the day. Oh, wait, sorry, that was the wrong passage, wrong chapter. Um, verse 41, uh, no, verse 40. Um, verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and they're burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. So what's Jesus talking about here? Jesus' point is this. There is a time for judgment. There's a time for separating the good wheat 
from the not good wheat. But he says that time is not now. There's a time that is coming at the end of the age. And notice who is the one who does this. It is the Son of Man who sends out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin. Jesus' point is this. Um, there's judgment coming. That will be handled by me. That will be handled by me, Jesus is essentially saying. Judgment is God's job, not ours. The day of judgment is coming, but that time is not now. But one of the things about the kingdom is that there's, there's people who may be associated with the kingdom. They, they, they might be people... Um, who look like real wheat, but as they mature, you begin to see, ooh, there's, there's, not, there's not fruit there. And Jesus essentially says, leave judgment to me. Keep sharing the message. Be faithful with what I've given you, disciples. And that's to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Proclaim the news that Jesus saves. Be faithful with what I've called to you. And it reminded me that in the church, in faith communities, um, there's many who, who find association with the church. There's many who, who, who come and they gather, they might even sit here. But in their life, they've never actually given their life to the Lord. They, they go through the motions. They, they may even give tithes or they might serve in an area of the church, but they've never really heard the word of God and listened and obeyed it. They've never really responded by faith to what Jesus teaches. They, they, they've not repented of their sin and trusted Jesus and Jesus alone. It, it may be that they look like a really good person and that they think through their good actions they are somehow going to please God. Friends, there is no way that we and our good actions can ever please God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few chapters earlier, he says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is tying, hey, you want to call yourself a disciple? There's some, there's some fruit that comes from being a disciple. Now, it gradually grows. You become more and more faithful to the things God has called you to. But it begins with a relationship with God. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven is the one who enters the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 22 of Matthew 7, he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What strikes me about this passage is this phrase, I never knew you. To know something can be, um, can be used sometimes, the word can be used as like a head knowledge, like I have a comprehension of something. I think the way Jesus understands this though is, is you never knew me. You never had a relationship with me. You may have gone, he's talking to Jewish people, you may have gone to the temple religiously. You may have performed all the sacrifices. You may have given your tithes and your alms to, to the poor and, and to the furthering of the, of the temple ministry. But he says, you never knew me. You, you never really had a relationship with me. And that's what Jesus calls people to. He calls people to have a relationship, a dynamic, a growing relationship with him. And it's interesting because in that Matthew passage, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, it, it, it can be easy to think that now I have to go do in order to be. 
But that's not the way it works at all. Um, Psalm 143 says it this way. When it's talking about doing the will of God, it says this is a, a, a king's prayer, a Davidic prayer, um, a Davidic psalm. He says in Psalm 143, verse 10, David prays this. He says, teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. For David, this person whom, who knew the Lord deeply, who was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, one of his prayers is, God, teach me to do your will. That's the prayer of a disciple, right? It's the prayer of, God, I, I want to know your heart here. I want to know what your will is so that I can do it. But that comes, friends, by relationship, all right? It comes by relationship is how that is strengthened and how it is, how it is built over the years. So the whole point of this parable for Jesus is um, judgment is for, um, for me to handle, but be faithful in proclaiming the message of the kingdom. Be faithful in your walk with God because that's why you're here today. All right, going on to the next one. We have the parable of the hidden treasure and the priceless pearl. So the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure buried in a field. This was something that Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with because if they see an army coming in, they're like, oh, I don't want to lose my family heirlooms or my, my prizes. Maybe we'll be able to escape. Maybe we'll be able to come back. And so what would often happen is if they know kind of impending doom and destruction is coming, they would dig a hole and they would bury their stuff. <laughs> they, they, they want to be able to come back or have one of their kids come back to have this as a resource for them in the future. And so you would find all throughout the land um, treasures. And now sometimes, you know, you, you might uh, find them uh, in one place or another. Here's a photo of a treasure from the 7th century BCE. It's in a clay jar stuck down in the thing. And just imagine, you know, you're working in a field. You're, you're a hired laborer, which is likely who this person is. He says a man is, is in a field and he finds his treasure, which means he's probably there working, but he doesn't own the field. So he's there, he's working, he doesn't own the field, he finds this. What does he do? He buries it. Because legally he can't take that as his own. But what he does is he goes and he offers um, to buy this. And in his joy, it says, he goes and he sells everything. Because he sees within this field that there is something of deep, deep value. He recognizes the value when he sees it, and he says, I need to buy this field. And so he goes and he gets rid of all the other stuff he has because he wants to pursue the treasure. And it's like the kingdom. Jesus is saying, hey, there, there's a lot of things, but people, there's a lot of things you can pursue, but there's people who see the kingdom, who see the work of God, who see the passion to know God and to know his word, and they dive in with all they have. And in the process of learning to do that, they're getting rid of all the other stuff that keeps them from pursuing this as the most important thing. Um, there is another parable that is very similar um, to this, and it comes right afterwards, and it's this parable of the priceless pearl. And so in this parable, we have a merchant who is someone who has a little bit more financial means, and, and he's in search of fine pearls. At the time of Jesus, um, my understanding is diamonds had not been cut yet because there was nothing strong enough to cut a diamond yet. And so one of the most uh, valuable things of this time were pearls and gold and, and other types of um, metals and jewelry like that. And so this merchant, he's going in search of fine pearls and he finds this one. He finds this one 
priceless pearl or very precious pearl. And he goes and he sells everything he has in order that he might buy this because this is the one consuming thing in his life. And Jesus is saying that's like the kingdom. It's, it's where you, you get rid of all the other stuff in order to pursue the one thing. Now, it doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't have family. It doesn't mean you don't play sports or anything like that. It means that the filter by which you filter everything in your life becomes that which is most important, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Um, one noted New Testament scholar when, when it refers to uh, the person going and selling everything he has, uh, he, he understands this phrase, selling all, as an allusion to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that Matthew talks about in Matthew chapter 6. Um, that's, that's the idea of this pearl and the idea of this treasure that was here. When, when I was... Uh, getting ready to propose to my now wife. Um, I went to a jeweler friend uh, of, of my dad's, so, someone who was a patient of his, and, um, and I went to go see what they had in, in, their, in their supply. And I spent several minutes, hours, um, looking through catalogs and looking through um, samples of stuff that they had of diamonds and of settings and all this kind of stuff to buy a, uh, an engagement ring for my wife-to-be. Um, it took intentionality, it took purpose, it took investment um, to make that purchase. The point is this, pursuing the kingdom takes all those things. It takes intentionality, it takes a purpose, and it takes investment because Jesus is calling his disciples to seek first the kingdom and to get rid of everything else that would stand in the way of that um, for a kingdom person, pursuing Jesus and his teaching is worth all. It's, it's worth all. One writer says it this way. He says, to be in the kingdom is to accept and to do the will of God. In other words, to have an active relationship with God that comes by faith, that comes by faith, trusting Jesus and repenting of our sin. Um, some people, some people are in process with this. There, there, there are people... Um, I've got a couple just pictures come into my mind of people I know in my life who, who look at the kingdom, who look at the work of God, and they look at that and they go, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because what they're doing is they're counting the cost. Whenever you pursue something with all you have, there comes a cost. We've got friends over in the southern Philippines who go and they, um, years ago, we got to spend some time with them and um, they were working in an unreached people group, people who did not know Jesus. And th th that work was hard. That work sometimes meant that their lives were in danger. That work sometimes meant that they were ostracized from their family. But for them, it was the most important thing they could pursue. Knowing God and sharing his word with people, living out of the teachings of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there's a work that goes on in people that many times we all cannot see. But we still pray, we still share, we still be faithful to what God has called us, and that for us is pursuing the kingdom with all we have. Finally, we have the picture 
of the parable of the fisherman or the parable of the net. The kingdom of heaven is like a large net. Now, um, you, you saw a couple weeks ago, you saw the fishing pole in here. Okay? This is not what Jesus is talking about in this particular one. He's talking about a dragnet. Um, you can tell by the shape of this net. This is a, this is a, um, a photo from the early 1900s of a dragnet. They're, they're out, they're fishing. They take the net out and then they put it down. There's weights on the net that go down to the bottom of the sea where that's out there. And then little by little, they bring it all back in. And Jesus says that um, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collects every kind of fish. All right. So when it collects every kind of fish, that means it collects fish that can be eaten, but it also collects fish and other animals that cannot. Um, so here you have some fish that can be eaten. Here you have a lobster or something like that. That cannot be eaten. That cannot be consumed by a Jewish person. That is not kosher. All right? Same thing with the eels. Man, how would you love to be swimming and find one of those eels nearby? Ugh, they just, yeah, no thank you. Um, but they're pulling all this stuff in. Some of the stuff can be used. Some of it cannot by a Jewish person. And so there would be a sorting that goes, that goes on. At the end of the age, Jesus says, um, they, they gather all these fish. They throw the good ones into containers and they throw out the worthless ones. And he says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out. They will separate the evil people from the righteous and they will throw them into the blazing furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is making a very similar parable um, to the wheat and the tares here. There is a time coming, Jesus says, that there is going to be a separating. The, se the separating of the people who are followers of the Lord and the people who are not. That's the reality. But Jesus says that time is not until now. Or that time is not now. That time is coming at the end of the age. And it says, I think it's in, I think it's in Peter, one of Peter's epistles. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but he desires that all come to a repentance of their sin and an acknowledgement of the Savior. The, the reason why there's not judgment now is because Jesus calls uh, his disciples to do as he did and say, hey, the kingdom is here. Proclaim it. Share how Jesus has changed your life with the person next to you. Share how Jesus has been working in your life for his glory and, and let that be something that would testify of God's amazing salvation and grace that he has done by dying on the cross and rising from the dead for our sins. That's part of what Jesus is saying here when, when he's talking about this end-of-time event where the evil and the righteous are separated. The evil people are those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, trusting him alone for salvation. So, um, the question for this one just comes down to this simple fact. Um, are you a disciple? Right? Are, are you a disciple? Have you heard the word of God? Have you repented of your sin and have you trusted Jesus? If you have, bless the Lord. Now you have a responsibility. Your responsibility then is to go out and to share what Christ has done for you with the people around you. Because God desires all to come to salvation. All right, so I've already talked about the storehouse of truth. What do we do with all of these parables, all right? We've got picture, 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 picture. Uh, a couple of closing thoughts. First one is this. Um, to be in God's kingdom, you have to know the king. And, and not just like a head knowledge of this. You have to know the king, like personally, 
intimately. You have to have a relationship by faith, by trusting in the Son of God, Jesus, who died and who rose again. That is the beginning of faith. Um, sometimes I have people come in to my office and they're struggling with, am I a believer, am I not? And I'll ask them invariably this question, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? They'll say, yes. I say, do you believe that you are a sinner and that you need Jesus' work in order to save you? And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, then my brother, my sister, you are a follower of Jesus. Now, you've been given a command to follow. And that's an active, practicing thing that we grow in. So you have to know the king because it all comes from relationship. As, as Psalm 143 said, God, teach me to do your will. The reason why David can say that and can pray that is because he's in a relationship with his father. He's in a relationship with God, and he says, God, help me understand what it means to follow you here. Friends, when we pray that prayer, that calls us into some dangerous and hard, difficult water sometimes, because it means that Jesus is going to show us that we need to express love when love is not what we feel, maybe. It means that, that we're going to be called to proclaim truth in a culture where truth is not always welcomed. It, it means that we're going to be called to a certain righteous lifestyle, not, perf not perfection uh, in the sense that we can somehow make ourselves perfect in everything we do. But as we walk with Jesus, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit reveals to us the areas of our life that are not quite hitting the mark. Hey, did you know that you were prideful over here? I want to work with you on that. Hey, hey, did you know that you spoke coarsely to someone over here? Hey, do you know that you, you lessened the image of God in this person by how you ignored them the other day? Now, all these things pop up for the disciple who's walking with Jesus. There's a greater and greater and greater awareness of all right, Lord, that's how you want me to act because that is what you have said. God, give me the grace to walk in light of that. All right, so you got to know the king. Um, kingdom living, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. I, I've said this so many times, and um, for myself, I probably can't say it too many times. There are so many things that I can pursue in my life. What matters is, am I pursuing the right thing in my life? Am I pursuing what God would have for me in my life? Because it's really easy to get distracted by this project or by this end goal. But if I'm not seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, all those things become very small in comparison. You think about your, your life, you think about your work, you think about your school, you think about your family. Where are the areas in your life where you're pursuing the kingdom? Where are the areas in your life where you're pursuing your own kingdom instead of God's? This is why it's so important to be in the word of God and to allow God to teach us to do his will because it comes through this relationship. When God calls you to do something, all right, when God calls you, you and I to do something, um, there, there's a, an expectation there that we, we act upon what we've known. One, one of the ways I like to say it sometimes is, um, sometimes God does not tell us the next step because he's waiting for us to be faithful with the current step. As soon as we understand and we know a truth, we're responsible for that. We're responsible for that. But thank God for his grace to walk with us through those days. So um, 
The last thing I, I want to say is this, is um, God calls his people, and I think he called this to the disciples, he calls them to share the message faithfully. Share it faithfully. There are a lot of things um, that we can judge about someone. We can say, oh, they don't know the Lord. Or we can say, oh, they know the Lord, and we could be wrong because God truly knows the heart. How do we share the message faithfully? Well, the first one is we know the word of God. Because if we share the word of God, the word of God is something that does not return empty, is what scripture says of itself. Continue to share the word of God with people in your life. Maybe you don't know where they're at spiritually. Maybe you do know where they're at spiritually. They, they have a clear testimony of salvation by grace through faith. Um, wherever you are working, wherever you are living, share the word of God and pray for people. If you don't know where their hearts are at, man, pray for them. Pray that God would reveal himself to them in a way that words from you or someone else can't do. Pray that they might see an amazing act of God. I, I, was, I was listening to a podcast recently, and it was talking about how God is moving in the Muslim world. And one of the things that happens oftentimes in, in the Muslim world is that people see visions or dreams. And the dreams don't lead them to faith. The word of God leads them to faith. But many times, these visions and dreams are things that God uses to begin to move past the hardness of their heart and to have an experience of like, I can't explain that, but God is working here in some way. And then someone comes along and they hear the message of the gospel and they go, that's what it is. Pray that God would work in the people, in your sphere of life, people who, who you don't know where they're at spiritually or people who you know they're far from God, pray that God would move and act in their midst and then that God would give you the right words to speak truth to them. All right? That's the idea of many of these parables, okay? There's lots of pictures here. But the point is this. The, the kingdom is something that is moving powerfully. I, I read or I heard yesterday um, one of the fastest places that the um, that the kingdom of God is growing is in the country of Iran. Think about that. There are, there are so many Muslims coming to faith in Jesus today than any time before. God is working, even when we may feel like he's not. Or we'd go, ah, oh, but God, it's been so many years I've been praying for this person Keep praying that God would continue to work and be faithful to share the messages he has called you and I to do. I want to pray for you, so let's pray together. Um, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these pictures of how your kingdom continues to move. And God, we, we may desire there to be instant success and, and to go from zero to 160 seconds, but God, um, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. We trust, God, that as we are faithful to proclaim the message of Jesus in our world, that you will continue to move. And even, God, in our faithlessness, God, we see how many times you continue to move. God, if, we are, um, if we're followers of you today, God, give us wisdom from your spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. God, give us the patience and the grace to not grow weary in doing good, but to continue sharing the message of Jesus with our community, with our families, with our world. 
Help us to do that, God, with great winsomeness and compassion. Um, God, if there are those here uh, who are hearing my voice who are not followers of you today, God, I pray you do an incredible work in their life that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray, God, that they would see, see how much they need a Savior and that they would reach out to you in faith. We thank you, God, for not leaving us as orphans, but for coming to this world, for dying on the cross, for rising from the dead so that we can have life in you. Help us to live for your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, next week, um, we will continue in our series on the kingdom. And um, if you have any questions or any way we can pray for you or serve you in the meantime, uh, I invite you to reach out to us. Would you stand with me and we'll close briefly here. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you this week and give you his shalom, his peace, his wholeness in your life as you serve him and you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.